strategist and political icon and pundit Roger Stone. Stone has served as a senior campaign aide to three Republican presidents. He is a New York Times bestselling author and a longtime friend and advisor of President Donald Roger Trump. Stone. As an outspoken libertarian, Stone has appeared on thousands of broadcasts, spoken at countless venues, and lectured before the prestigious Oxford Political Union and the Cambridge Union Society. Due to his four-plus decades in the political and cultural arena, Stone has become a pop culture icon. And now, here's your host, Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and yes, you are back in the Stone Zone. Yesterday was the fifth anniversary of the date that my home was stormed by 29 SWAT-clad FBI agents brandishing fully automatic assault weapons uh, at six o'clock in the morning, a pre-dawn raid, to arrest me for the entirely fabricated charge of lying to Congress in my voluntary testimony uh, regarding Russian collusion, which of course we now never know never actually took place. Uh, I thank Jesus Christ uh, and President Donald Trump for the fact that I'm here today to tell about it, uh, but it was a day of reflection for me and a day to focus uh, on so much that has happened in our country since uh, that dark time. Joining me uh, to break down the political issues today uh, is uh, my friend and co-host, Troy Smith, the editor-in-chief of Rare.us. Troy, welcome back into the Stone Zone. Well, Roger, it's an honor to be here, especially the day after uh, such, a, such an important day in history. I think uh, Tucker Carlson said it best when you were arrested and when the FBI charged into your home, that changed uh, the way a lot of Americans feel about this country, and it put us in a position where we were really awoken to what's happening. And it's I'm, I'm glad to see you wearing the same shirt that you were on that day to, to show the people that did this. You are triumphant, you are still here, and you still stand tall, even though they've attempted to tear you down. Yeah, that's exactly why uh, I wore this shirt. Uh, I have a piece up at Substack. You can go to rogerstone.substack.com or you can go to stonezone.com. It's in both places now, uh, which I make the case that I did absolutely nothing wrong. Not only did I do nothing wrong, they knew I did nothing wrong, uh, but they basically charged me in these highly fabricated process crimes uh, in an effort to pressure me to testify falsely against President Donald Trump. In other words, when they spent their millions of dollars and many man hours with an unlimited budget, unlimited legal authority, and an unlimited staff, and couldn't find any Russian collusion, uh, they decided to try to invent some. They kind of wanted me to be the ham in their ham sandwich, but I declined to do that, and, uh, well, the rest uh, is history. Uh, our special guest today, John Guandolo, one of the country's uh, foremost experts on counterterrorism, uh, particularly focusing on the threat of Islamic radical terrorism in the United States, uh, a veteran of the FBI. But before we go to uh, John Guandolo, uh, tell us uh, what's going on at our southern border in Texas, Troy. Uh, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, there are some thorny uh, authority issues here. Uh, but uh, it really seems to me to be a mess. 
Oh, Roger, it is a, is a mess, and it's been a mess since Biden kind of took office here. And I think it's important for people to understand what happened in the Supreme Court. We had a ruling just a few days ago where the Supreme Court stated that um, that Texas could not uh, kind of defend their own border. And this goes along with uh, several Supreme Court rulings where the Supreme Court has kind of veered off from the Constitution. And, and now they're saying that only the federal government has the authority uh, on the border. Uh, I, I've kind of dug into this and say, OK, well, Let's look at the letter. So we had we had the letter from uh, uh, Abbott, which kind of states exactly why he's standing up, why he's continuing to say, I'm not going to let these people kind of invade our border. And uh, in that letter, I, we have the constitutional uh, arguments that were made. And I and we have uh, just just screenshots. Now, if we could put up Article one, Section 10, uh, Clause three, uh, that was the main argument that was used. Uh, by uh, Governor Abbott in his letter where he's kind of talking about defending uh, the Constitution. And, and we have that. I, I, I can read that here, I, but I believe we can put that on the screen as well. Um, that reads, no state shall without the consent of Congress lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships in war uh, in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit delay. Now, this is the U.S. Constitution, Roger. This is Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which un unequivocally states that if a state is being invaded or is in such imminent danger, it can do what it needs to do to defend itself without the authority of the federal government. That's open and shut. The other constitutional argument that's made in that letter is using Article 4, Section 4, which we also pulled and can put up for you here, which reads, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion. And on application of the legislator or of the executive when the legislator cannot be convened against domestic violence. So there you have it where the federal government is by by the Constitution, it is forced to defend the states and it, it, it's, it clearly states invasion there. So there are there's no question that Texas has the absolute right to defend its border. There's absolutely no question that the Biden administration has no authority to come in and tell Texas that they cannot protect itself against an invasion. And yet we had a ruling from the Supreme Court that stated just that. And the worst thing about this a ruling from the Supreme Court, Roger, is that we don't have the full dissenting opinions, you know, the normal. It, it, this was just allowed. The Biden administration brought this to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court simply said that they have ultimate authority on the southern border. And that is wrong. And, and now the consequence of that, we have House Speaker Mike Johnson, uh, former President Trump, and uh, 25 other governors, Roger, joining with Governor Abbott and saying, we are not going to stand for the Biden administration telling Texas that they can't defend their own southern border. They can't defend the United States southern border. When do the Biden administration refuses to do so? All right. An excellent uh, summary. Uh, this, uh, I think, uh, immigration Looking at the uh, entrance polling for the Iowa caucuses, uh, looking at the exit polling in the New Hampshire primary, uh, since there's a very, very large num of, number of independents voting in that primary, by the way, potentially even in violation of state law, I learned yesterday that there are circumstances under which non-Republicans are allowed to vote in the New Hampshire primary uh, under state law, but it must be specifically approved by a vote of the New Hampshire Republican State Committee, something that actually never took place. Uh, the Republican State Party objected 
but the Secretary of State, uh, a Republican, uh, uh, insisted on allowing the independents, non-Republicans, to vote in the primary anyway. Uh, had there not been a victory there by Donald Trump, I think this whole matter might have been litigated. Fortunately, Trump was so strong that despite a $34 million plus expenditure by Nikki Haley uh, and a essentially uh, a uh, uh, an effort by the UNA party uh, to drive Democrats and independents into the Republican primary, uh, they fell short nonetheless. This was the beta test, uh, I think, of the effort to use Nikki Haley uh, as a cudgel against Donald Trump. Although he will be beating her as long as she wants to stay in this race, uh, the the media continues to downplay his victories, even though they are historic uh, in scope, uh, and try to prop up her viability even when she is no longer viable. We're going to be keeping a close eye uh, on that. Uh, let, let's go to our guest because we have uh, a limited uh, amount of time. Uh, John Guandolo is a man who uh, came to my attention uh, when I was writing uh, one of my earlier books, uh, specifically uh, the the uh, Clinton uh, the Clinton's War on Women. Uh, he is uh, not only a former Marine infantry and reconnaissance officer, uh, a combat veteran uh, in Desert Storm, uh, where he was involved in operations off the Bosnian coast. Uh, he was an FBI special agent for five years in the criminal division. Uh, shortly after 9-11, he moved over to counterintelligence, uh, counterterrorism division of the FBI. And in 2006, he created the first training program within the government on the Islamic radical movement, pertaining specifically to doctrine, strategy, their network, uh, and their modus operandi. He was recruited out of the FBI in 2008 into the Department of Defense, working in the Irregular Warfare Division. Uh, he was hired and worked specifically for Rich Higgins, who was the Director of Strategic Planning for National Security uh, under President Donald Trump. Uh, when the Obama administration defunded the work of that section of government, uh, he returned to the private sector, uh, where he works now training and educating military, law enforcement, and intelligence professor, uh, professionals, as well as state leaders and citizens about the very real dangers uh, of uh, Islamic terrorism uh, in the United States. Uh, it is uh, my great privilege to uh, to uh, welcome my good friend, John Guandolo, to the Stone Zone. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me. You and Troy, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to have you. Uh, let, let's get uh, the most controversial part of this out of the way at the beginning. Uh, when I uh, wrote uh, one of my early books, uh, I came across information that indicated that CIA Director John Brennan, who by his own admission is a former communist uh, and who admits supporting the Communist Party candidate for president, uh, who was later CIA director under two presidents, uh, had converted 
uh, to Islamic uh, radicalism or Islamism became a Muslim uh, when he was stationed in Ridda as a station chief. I also learned that it was John Brennan who approved the visa for several of the 9-11 hijackers. Uh, I I think he's a a bad guy. Uh, Speak to us, uh, if you will, uh, about uh, the documentation of his uh, religious conversion. Yeah, so thank you for the uh, uh, opportunity to, to walk through this because I took a lot of heat because I was the first one who shared this publicly. I had uh, sources, I have, uh, who were in Saudi Arabia at the time. Mr. Brennan was the station chief for the CIA who said he not only converted, he was converted into Islam by senior Saudi government officials, including uh, leadership of the Mubahath, the Saudi intelligence. And so it's it's not merely a uh, some kind of personal decision. This was an intelligence operation, in my uh, professional opinion, against the director of CIA. And by the way, he was not the only CIA director uh, who was targeted uh, by the Saudi intelligence and converted. But he was uh, the one that I could give definitive uh, evidence on based on my sources. And I, to this day, have not revealed their names because uh, um, they would be certainly under this administration in danger of uh, being fired and uh, they are still in in government positions. So that's the first part of it. But then uh, we have Brad Johnson, who was also a CIA station chief that I know. And after he retired, he publicly stated on uh, on an interview that he was aware and it was widely known to the people on the inside of the agency that John Brennan had converted uh, while he was inside the CIA. So this is not nearly as controversial as uh, the uh, people in the media would would make it seem. It was it was well known, according to Brad Johnson and people I know in the agency. Nobody batted an eye and, and people actually reached out to me and they couldn't believe I was getting so beaten up in the in the media about it because uh, most of them were aware of it. And it was not something that that was hidden. But not just that, not just that he converted and was converted by Saudi intelligence, which I believe is a national security issue. It's a counterintelligence issue. But then what do we see him do? We see him openly using his his color of office, his official power and authority in office as the counterterrorism advisor to the president of the United States and as the director of central intelligence to support terrorists inside the United States by speaking at uh, conferences like the Islamic Society of North America, identified by the U.S. Department of Justice in the largest terrorism financing trial in American history as not only a Muslim Brotherhood organization whose stated objective is to overthrow the U.S. government and establish an Islamic state here, but who directly funds Hamas leaders and organizations overseas and here in the United States. Per evidence, we have their bank records. They sent money directly from their banks, ISNA, Islamic Society of North America, to Hamas leaders and Hamas organizations. That's known. Uh, He speaks at their events. He meets with leaders of organizations uh, and has 
that are hostile to the United States, the Muslim uh, American society, uh, as I mentioned, ISNA, and now groups like Engage, Hamas, and others. And so in his both, uh, in his official duties, and now as a uh, mouthpiece for the jihadi movement in the United States, he continues to, to do this and attack people like me. You can go to the website, uh, and they've got a little uh, profile on me as being some kind of anti-Muslim person, which I am not. I do national security. I don't attack uh, individuals because of uh, what they believe. But if you believe uh, in Islamic law and that it should be dominant in the United States, it's a barbaric law, has no place in the United States, and people that advocate for it uh, should be, especially people that are working with terrorist groups, you should be investigated. And we should go after these organizations. And there are a lot of them in the United States. Uh, it's particularly interesting to me because, uh, as I indicated at the beginning of the show, yesterday was the fifth anniversary uh, of uh, my stunning arrest. Uh, many, many people saw that on CNN. CNN would have us believe that they just happened to have a camera crew 25 feet from my front door at 6 a.m. Uh, when I was arrested. Ironically, uh, just the day before, my lawyers had been in conversation with the special counsel's office. We handed over 35 pages of text messages, which essentially proved that everything I said about my uh, knowledge regarding the WikiLeaks disclosures that would come in October of 2016 came from exactly the source I said they did. It wasn't WikiLeaks. Uh, they weren't interested in anything exculpatory. They had already made their decision that, that I was to be targeted. The point here, though, is that I would be charged with lying to Congress. Now, John Brennan, uh, when the U.S. Senate began investigating the use of torture, illegal use of torture, uh, by the Central Intelligence Agency, was illegally surveilling members and staff members of the U.S. Senate. And he lied about it under oath. Yet he, strangely, was never prosecuted. Uh, never a better example of the two-tiered justice system that exists uh, in America today. Uh, and uh, uh, like you, John, I've taken a beating for insisting uh, that Brennan is who he really is. It's even hard for me to understand how someone who was an admitted communist uh, could become the head of the CIA, both under Republicans and Democrats. Uh, it's amazing uh, the way John Durham glossed over John Brennan's role in the Russian collusion hoax in which our intelligence agencies uh, acted illegally, uh, knowing full well uh, that their rationale, the Steele dossier, was a fraud. Uh, so to me, uh, the Russian collusion hoax is the biggest single dirty trick in the history of American politics. It is nothing less than the full use of the authority of the United States and the capabilities of our intelligence agencies to, uh, to uh, mislead a FISA court judge using what they knew as fabricated evidence in an illicit effort to take down an American president. Uh, it is very clear to me uh, that Mr. Brennan is never going to pay for his crimes. Uh, uh, let us move on. So, uh, John, we can, have I, can I say something about that, Roger? Well, you may. Anytime. Jump in. I just I think you've you've nailed it 
but I want to maybe remind your viewers, you know, in October 2003, when he was leaving his position of the, as the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, James Comey, October 2003 in New York Magazine, said, uh, and this is almost a perfect quote, uh, I'd move from communist to whatever I am now. I'm not really sure how to characterize myself. And he was leaving and going to be the deputy attorney general of the United States. And he would, as you know, become the attorney general of the United States. He would uh, lie to the uh, FISA court and would approve future um, applications to the FISA court that were full, full of lies that went after Mr. Trump, his staff and his family using unlawful surveillance. Now, this is, I agree with you, everything that's wrapped up into what is called the Trump-Russia collusion investigation is criminal. Comey should be in jail, Andrew McCabe should be in jail, Strzok should be in jail, Brennan should be in jail. A whole host of people should be in jail because they broke the law and they lied to a FISA court judge knowingly. And Comey, the FBI director, admitted he was a communist, not really sure where you am now, where he was, you know, in 2003. And yet the Congress approved him to become the FBI director. I think that in and of itself should tell many Americans everything you know about how corrupt the, the political elites are on both sides of the uh, political aisle. They don't give a crap about national security. They don't give a crap about the American people. And they certainly don't give a crap about justice, law and order, and the Constitution. And I believe you're right. I think the entire Russia collusion investigation is, if that's all you know, it is so deep and the details uh, demonstrate that deep within the FBI and the U.S. government, the tentacles of corruption, deceit, and quite frankly, just flat out evil is so pervasive that I believe, and, and this is why we train communities at the local level, it's only the citizens that are going to right this ship. People that are still waiting for Congress to do the next right thing, or even for the next election. The next election could be helpful if uh, a good constitutionally minded individual gets into power, but it is only the citizens at the county level that are going to uh, build and fortify county by county this country to take it back. Well, and John, I just wanted to ask you real quickly because uh, we're talking about Brennan, and I remember President Trump revoking John Brennan's uh, security clearance and kind of, yeah. you know, stopping him from. So, uh, could you talk about that for a second? Why that was such a big deal, and if if you know you're talking about Muslim infiltration of our intelligence agencies, how deep does that go, and how coordinated is, is that effort from these Islamic nations to kind of infiltrate and control our intelligence agencies? Well, that is a, that's a huge question. There are actually several big questions. So let me answer as succinctly as I can. First of all, to get your security clearance revoked, if you're doing contract work, which Mr. Brennan's now working from the outside, uh, is important because there are a lot of those, uh, there's money tied to it when you're doing contracts to have a secret or TS, TS clearance. So that's, uh, but it also keeps him out of uh, future 
government positions, right? Um, which he should be anyway, because he should be in jail. That's the first part. Now, I, I want to make clear the work that I do while it started while I was in the uh, FBI doing investigation, uh, multiple investigations after 9-11. And because of those, the massive jihadi network in the United States was revealed to me through these investigations. And what I saw was the most prominent Islamic organizations in America tied to Al Qaeda cases that we had open, Hamas cases and others. And when I started digging in and seeing that this was a very well organized, coordinated effort, that's what was shocking. And then reaching out to other FBI field offices and asking them and uh, not just uh, in investigating agents, but analysts, uh, some of the leadership, are you aware of who these people are, how they're operating in your community? There was none. That's what led to me putting together the first training program in the government, which I actually began developing in 2004. I was doing half day and day long trainings where first locally to the DC area, because I was at the Washington field office, and then flying agents in with the permission of headquarters and our field office from other offices, FBI offices, analysts, agents, and others coming in to actually train them about this network <clears throat> and the movement. So let me quickly answer the question, how penetrated are we? Let me give you just four or five quick examples. Abdurrahman Alamudi was the Islamic advisor to President Clinton and was in, in, invited into the Bush, George W. Bush campaign by Karl Rove. He was the most prominent Islamic leader in the United States in the 1990s, early 2000s. He was the founder and or leader of almost two dozen of the largest Islamic organizations in North America. He created the Muslim chaplain program for the Department of Defense. He was a goodwill ambassador for the State Department and actually participated in Middle East peace process on behalf of the US government. He was called by the Washington Post, the pillar of the Muslim community. And he was a senior Muslim Brotherhood Hamas leader and the most significant Al-Qaeda bagman, uh, courier, financial courier for Al-Qaeda. And he was sentenced in uh, 2004 to 23 years in federal prison. So here's just that one example. Here's my question. How's, CIA, how's a Secret Service and FBI vetting for that, for him to work, visit, and be in the White House more than any other Muslim for both of the Clinton administration. Fast forward, Farouk Mitha was the Islamic advisor. Now, why presidents and candidates need an Islamic advisor, I have no idea, uh, except for the obvious reasons, uh, that they're bad guys and it's an influence operation. But he was the Islamic advisor to Mrs. Clinton during her presidential campaign and Mr. Biden during his campaign. Well, he's the board member of M-Gage, which is a Hamas organization in the United States. And as a candidate, Joe Biden spoke at an online Hamas M-Gage conference, thanked them for their support and for their money. So he knowingly is taking money from Hamas and he 
said to them, I'm going to bring as many of your folks into my uh, administration if I get elected as he can. And he obviously has because the jihadis are all over the Biden administration. You've got Gumarad Kalimov, an ISIS commander trained five times by the State Department, including weapons and tactics training in the United States. When asked, hey, why did you train this ISIS commander five times? The State Department said, well, he was vetted. That was their answer. Well, obviously your vetting sucks. It's not working. Uh, and, and there are many, many examples of this. I'll give you one more. Mohammed Majid was the vice president and president of the same Islamic Society of North America I just discussed. What is a The government has a massive amount of evidence that it is a Muslim Brotherhood organization that seeks to overthrow the U.S. government and directly funds the foreign terrorist organization Hamas. Mohammed Majid not only got the FBI Director's Award from James Comey and has been just it, it, unbelievable amount of influence and open doors for this guy, but Mr. Biden made him one of the commissioners on the commissioners on the International Commission on Religious Freedom at the White House. So you have these kinds of people in those kinds of position over since the 90s through all these administrations. It's unbelievable. And here's the question. I challenge your viewers, name one national Islamic organization that's not hostile to the United States. Name one because I just put out a tweet the other day and I listed about 30 of the biggest, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, but I just, just name me one that's not. And all these councils around the United States, starting with the US Council of Muslim Organizations and all the biggest, most prominent Islamic organizations are directly tied to an identifiable jihadi movement in the United States that is giving direct support to all the attacks we've seen, uh, including 9-11 to today. Uh, we recently had uh, Lee Smith uh, uh, on my WABC radio show. He pointed out that uh, the Biden administration's current envoy, Robert Malley, uh, facilitated an Iranian spy ring, bringing uh, one of the regime's assets, a woman named Ariana Tabatabi, I think is the correct spelling, uh, as a former assistant secretary of defense for special operations, uh, Christopher Mars assistant, where she has top uh, security clearances. It appears to me that, uh, that Iranian intelligence that Hamas uh, has in fact already infiltrated uh, the Biden administration. Uh, John, what is your view? That's absolutely right. And uh, I just gave a briefing uh, this past weekend. Uh, we did, we do a, two-day training for communities to show them how to identify uh, these networks in their local communities. But uh, it's important to, to show people how bad this is. And I, I walk through this very case. Uh, and Tabatabai was the chief of staff for ASD Solik. And I, I walk people through what that actually means. The ASD Solik is literally the Assistant Secretary of Defense advising the Department of Defense on special operations, low intensity conflict matters uh, in our entire military. It is a very incredible, uh, important 
a role, ASD Solic. And when I was working uh, for DOD, that's it was under that umbrella. Regular warfare fell under ASD Solic. And to have somebody that was at the behest of the president of Iran, whose point of contact was an Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps leader, uh, working as the chief of staff for that, that just, if that doesn't put a cherry on top of what I'm saying, that we have no functional counterintelligence in the United States, we clearly have no ability to vet. Uh, and I just want to, if I could add just one more quick point on that, because I'm glad you brought this up. It, it is huge. This is, the the our adversaries have got to be just shrugging their shoulders at how easy it is to penetrate the key components of our government. But this is why it's important for your viewers. There is no component of the federal government that is not, not only corrupted, but being driven, policy being driven by the adversaries of liberty, the adversaries of the United States, whether it's the Agriculture Department, whether it's Treasury, State Department, or key components like FBI, CIA, state, the level of corruption and penetration by hostile foreign governments, Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, China, it is, it's a field day and there's no vetting. And even where we catch them, when, when we catch them, like the Awan brothers, the Pakistani ISI operation into members of Congress computers, Nothing. They just walk. So you have a completely broken and corrupt and intentionally hostile Department of Justice, as Roger, you've experienced firsthand. This is where we are. That's why it is only the citizens, in my professional opinion, that can right this ship. Uh, an excellent point. Uh, we're going to take a quick a commercial break. Ask both of you to stay with us here for a second. Uh, because yesterday was the fifth anniversary uh, of the uh, stunning FBI pre-dawn raid on my home, something that um, my wife and family and I still have uh, ramifications of, both psychologically and financially, uh, I decided it was the perfect date to release the new uh, commemorative coin, uh, which is available at Stone Zone. Dot com. So uh, there it is. This is the Roger Stone did nothing wrong. Uh, American commemorative coin. You can go to stonezone.com. Uh, this is uh, uh, I, it, it will be a historical artifact. I'm obviously wearing the uh, one of the famous Roger Stone did nothing wrong T-shirts. This is the T-shirt. I was, of course, arrested in. That's because CNN was sloppy, uh, and I knew because of a leak that I was highly likely to be arrested that morning. That's why I got up at 5 a.m., took a shower, and uh, put on this shirt, which I was famously photographed in by, well, by CNN. Uh, it, it is, uh, uh, therefore, uh, there's the famous picture. So you can uh, get the new commemorative coin. You can also get that photograph, which I'm happy to sign for you. 
uh, I am uh, still on the forefront uh, in the fight for freedom, uh, and uh, we appreciate your support. While you're at StoneZone.com, be sure to subscribe. It's absolutely free. Uh, that's where you can uh, see uh, this show on a daily basis. Uh, you can also uh, see a number of print articles, uh, either things that I myself have written or important things that I've curated because uh, I see them, but I don't see anyone else uh, uh, pushing them or making them available to the public. Also remind you that we're brought to you by the great folks at MyPillow.com. Uh, Mike Lindell, like me, is under attack. Uh, Fox News, which was uh, the beneficiary of millions of dollars of advertising by MyPillow, will no longer run Mike's advertising. Uh, and uh, why is that? Because he's uh, the country's foremost advocate for free speech and for uh, uh, election integrity. Uh, and therefore, please go to MyPillow.com uh, and use promo code STONE when you do. Now, there's a couple of great products there. We're going to touch on them quickly because it's not that easy to get a great guest like John Guandolo. And I don't want to waste all of our time here on the commercial appeal. But, folks, we do need to keep the lights on. So whether it is the dog beds or the pet blankets uh, or the all-season slippers or the towel special or the men and women's terry cloth robes or the famous uh, bed sheets. Uh, there are many, many great products uh, at MyPillow.com, including the new revolutionary MyPillow 2.0. So go to the Stone Zone, get your commemorative coin uh, or your very own Roger Stone Did Nothing Wrong t-shirt. Someday you'll be able to sell that t-shirt to the Smithsonian for millions, I'm sure. Uh, or go to MyPillow.com or do both because uh, we need your support here uh, at the Stone Zone. All right, we're going to return to our conversation uh, with counterterrorism expert, uh, former FBI official John Guandolo, joining me on the Stone Zone, as always, uh, my co-host, Troy Smith. Uh, John, here's a, a, an elementary question. At the local level, uh, what is the level uh, of Islamic radical infiltration? I know, for example, that in the Broward County, Florida Sheriff's Office, uh, the chief of staff uh, is also uh, affiliated with a, a mosque in the western part of the county, uh, which is uh, interrogated with care. Uh, and I find that uh, extraordinarily troubling. Uh, to what extent across the country uh, are these Islamic radicals uh, infiltrated into local law enforcement? So that is a great question, Roger. Um, I appreciate you asking it because it's, uh, if we look, and this is something I saw after, uh, shortly after 9-11, to answer the question, I want to set the table real quickly. We saw communist groups like Answer, Act Now, Stop War and Racism, and others, Code Pink and others, these are communist organizations in the United States, working with Muslim Brotherhood Hamas groups like the Islamic Society of North America, uh, Hamas doing business as the Council on American Islamic Relations and others, and they were doing joint war protests in Washington, D.C. And so as, as that developed, what we saw was uh, very hardcore, violent 
communist groups, not only in the United States, but exterior to the United States, working with national level jihadi organizations. So the short answer to question to, to your question is where the rubber meets the road in anywhere USA at the local level, it is the communist and jihadi networks, their collaborators and financiers working seamlessly. So on the ground during the BLM, anywhere we had BLM, which is a Chinese communist organization created out of the largest Chinese communist front group in America, Freedom Road Socialist Organization, uh, which split now the larger part as Liberation Road. But these are huge Chinese communist organizations. BLM works directly in their network with Chinese Communist Party officials at the consulates in the United States. Antifa, which is a Soviet-style communist group, we see everywhere they were, we saw Hamas and Muslim Brotherhood organizations, Muslim Student Association, Council on American Islamic Relations, Islamic Circle of North America, Islamic Society of North America, working right with them on the street. So you get these chants as people are walking down the street in New York and LA and elsewhere, you know, death to America. That's not a typical communist chant, but it is a very typical jihadi chant. And, and we see this. But more importantly, the work they're doing to penetrate the local community is, I got to say, it's impressive. Not only how well coordinated it is, but how effective it is. And the, as I describe it, the sharpest end of their spear, the enemy spear, is the interfaith movement, the interfaith outreach to primarily Christian organizations, but also Jewish organizations, to the point you have international leaders of the jihadi group, like uh, Muhammad al-Issa, who's the general uh, secretary general of the Muslim World League, which was the first international Muslim Brotherhood organization on the planet based in Saudi Arabia. And to be the secretary general, you're appointed by uh, the leadership in Saudi Arabia, basically by the king himself or the crown prince. And he is leading with other Hamas Muslim Brotherhood leaders like Mohammed Majid, I mentioned earlier, who's on the International Commission of Religious Freedom appointed by Joe Biden in the White House, taking trips with Jewish leaders to Auschwitz. I mean, the level of deceit and propaganda, but that take that and it's happening at the local level. And their efforts are so professionally done and effective that it's having a big impact. That is why many Christians uh, and Christian churches and denominations are pro-Palestinian. And that's how this happens. Muslim Student Association on over a thousand of the, what do we have, 4,300 universities and colleges, they're out there. So the, the depth of penetration at the local level is extensive and they have thousands of communist and jihadi organizations. That's why from both a military and practical standpoint, from a military standpoint, this is an insurgency. And so in a counterinsurgency, the local level is the most effective level to deal with it. And practically, because the federal government is so corrupted, we have to, 
work at the local level because there hasn't been one governor in any state that has dealt with the communist and jihadi networks in any uh, meaningful way, even the good governors that are out there. Uh, most of it, I believe it's from gross ignorance because the governors I briefed were shocked at the, uh, the level of uh, penetration into their own state. So that's why I believe, and, and what we've shown is effective, certainly over the last six years, is training local communities how to identify these networks, the communists, the jihadis, their collaborators and their financiers, flush them out of the county lawfully and reestablish the founding principles. And it's working in the places that we're, we're able to get to. Obviously, we need to scale this up much more significantly, but it is, it's working. We've got about six minutes left. Troy, do you have a question for John? I would, you know, uh, I think, you know, most people out there probably are unaware of the level of infiltration that you're describing, John. It's just, it's, it's really terrible. Um, so if you could just say like, it, it, let, you've, you've briefed some governors here. What would you tell the governors of America? What's the first step we take in, in kind of addressing this? And do you think that they should fear kind of retribution for standing up to that? Is that why they, they fail to take action? So I'll answer that last part first. I think it's a part of it. I think everybody knows when you stand up to these people, they threaten to kill you. I mean, the communists publicly threaten to kill Supreme Court justices. When you uh, come up against Islam, uh, the threats of death are immediate. And, and they're quite frankly open about it, very open about it on the, uh, on the streets of Europe and America. So I believe that's part of it. Uh, what I've witnessed over the 20 plus years I've been doing this is really an unprofessional, cowardly, and, and in, in some cases, criminally negligent leaders. And again, on both sides of the political aisle, um, but if I had to share with the governors just a couple tidbits, if I was given two minutes, I would say that we have evidence that's already been uh, entered. So information that's been entered as evidence in the largest terrorism trials in American history that demonstrate there is an identifiable network of Islamic organizations that include many of the prominent organizations that sir or ma'am are working in your state, that number one, whose objective, which is you can demonstrate through evidence, is to overthrow the US government and establish a Islamic state here under Sharia, barbaric foreign law, again, in violation of uh, the constitution and federal and state code. Uh, number two, these organizations give direct support to acts of violence that we can lay out, whether it's 9-11 or the Boston bombings or the uh, jihadi who killed uh, four Marines and a sailor in Chattanooga or et al. Um, and so if you just start there and that they are financing, uh, all the prominent organizations are financing terrorism. We, I've laid that out. You can sh we can show that legally in a court of law and so these people, these governors, have a constitutional duty, and they swore an oath to protect and defend, to do something about it and use all of their executive authority to do so. That's how I would begin the conversation. And then when you can show you have 
they are working at the ground level with communist groups whose websites tell you that they seek to overthrow the state government. And in many states, the state constitution and the state law makes it a state crime to work to overthrow the state constitution. Now, some states don't have that, but you can apply other laws. It's just doing it. It's knowing it and then taking action against it. You can do this legally, but you need a governor and an attorney general with some courage and some uh, willingness to actually do their job. All right, gentlemen, I'm afraid we have to leave it right there. Let me thank my good friend and our guest, John Guandolo, and my co-host, Troy Smith, for joining us today on The Stone Zone. In the meantime, God bless you, God speak, and, well, we'll see you Monday. Thank you.